This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning to you. It is great to see you today. It's great to be gathered in the house of God to, uh, to think about what God thinks about us and, and for we to respond in kind. Um, I have a confession to make to you today. Today we're talking about the sacrament of reconciliation, so here's a confession. I... I'm a de-accumulator. That is, uh, stuff, unless it happens to pertain to uh, tractors, stuff typically is something that bugs me. So if you come into my office, you will know that I do not have a lot of stuff in my office, except I do have a few pictures of tractors, don't I, Pastor Jim? I see Pastor Jim over there. Pastor Jim is a, a different kind of person. He is an accumulator of things. If you can find Pastor Jim in his office, God bless you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I should, you are going to need to forgive me later on in this service. Um, so I deaccumulate. I, that has a, a way of, of creating interesting things in the rest of my, my life and, and interesting conversations with my family. Um, we have moved several times in the course of our married life, Anna and I have. And every time before we move, I get in this... Um, I get in this mode where I'm like, we have to really sort of pare down. We've got to deaccumulate because there are only a few things that we're going to put on a moving truck and take with us to wherever we're going because I hate packing. I hate packing like <clears throat> it's like the plague. So it's like sell it, put it in a garage sale, or put it out to the curb. Like one of the two things, like either sell it, give it away, or put it to the curb, let somebody else have our stuff. And so over the course of our life, we've had these moments where we we sell, we purge. I go through the house, I'm like a whirling dervish, grab stuff, take it all outside. You know, it's either for sale or it's given away or something. And then we go on trips like we did recently. We go on trips to uh, my folks, we went on to my folks, we went to Anna's folks, and there's stuff along the way that reminds Anna of all those things that I have de-accumulated. In fact, at, at my mother-in-law's house, there's a cookie jar that Anna liked, she loved, and it's sitting up there on the shelf. She's like, See, my mom rescued the cookie jar from your, your garage sale stuff. And so it's sitting there. Um, Deaccumulation has gotten me in trouble a few times in my life. Deaccumulation has also gotten the church in trouble. And when the church goes on garage sales, sometimes we take things that are important to us and helpful to us, like helpful tools, and we take them and we set them out by the, beside the road and we forget about them. Phyllis Tickle said almost, uh, she said about every 500 years, the church tends to go through a garage sale. And she said in reflection upon the last garage sale we went through about 500 years ago, that would have been 1500, you know, that was when Martin Luther and, the, and had this little rift with the Pope. And so we, we got Protestantism out of that and, and Roman Catholicism was, became its cause and we had the two things. Um, Phyllis Tickle said, you know, we had this little garage sale at least within Europe and then within America. And we put a number of things out at the road, a number of things that would be helpful to us. Uh, some of the things that we put out at the road were what Catholics call as the seven sacraments. Now we, you know, reading through Scripture, Martin Luther said there's at least two sacraments that we need, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But everything else is just kind of too muddied. It, it muddles up our life. It weighs us down. But as you read through Scripture, as you have conversations with other people who read through Scripture, you realize that there are gifts that Jesus gave to the church that are really helpful. And some of the gifts that he gave to the church that are helpful are part of those seven sacraments. And they can be helpful to our own souls. 
because sometimes they build us up. And then the realization is, is that sometimes we carry stuff around in our souls where we need to be unloaded of things. Sometimes we really do need to have a garage sale. We need to go through our own heart, if you will, and say, you know, there's stuff in here that we kind of need to get rid of. One of the things that helps us do an assessment of our heart is, is what um, is known as the sacrament of reconciliation. Now, if you go into a Roman Catholic church, if you go into the entryway, and, and some of you have grown up Catholic, you've had some experience being in a Catholic church, so you know what that's like. You, when you enter one of the doors, there's typically a, a place that's called a confessional that's set aside. It's a place where you can have a conversation with, with somebody else. So, um, you've, got, you've, you've got that happening. Confession. So some of us think about, think about this sacrament as the sacrament of confession. But in reality, the sacrament is, is meant to be broader than simply confession. It's meant to be a full-orb sense of reconciliation. And reconciliation is, is when we come back to the place where there's a wholeness of life and a wholeness of community and a wholeness of relationship. One of the interesting things um, that happens or how this sacrament gets kicked off is it gets kicked off on the night when Jesus is resurrected. In, in sort of in the fullness of its, of its totality. See, Jesus is resurrected. And, and the disciples hear about it because Mary goes to the tomb because she expects to find Jesus laying dead in the tomb and she wants to anoint his body because his body hasn't been fully anointed, fully prepared for burial. She gets there with the other Mary and the, and the stone has been rolled away. Jesus' body is not there, and she's deeply concerned. So she goes back, and then Peter and John, they run to the tomb. They have their moment, and they get this message, this message from the angel that he is not here, but he has risen just as he said he would. And so they, they go back. They go back to this upper room, and they lock the doors. John says that they're, they're behind closed doors. They're locked in because they are afraid. They don't know what's happened in their world. They, they really are just trying to make sense of, of everything that's been going on. And then Jesus comes and he stands in the midst of them. And in the midst of, of them, Jesus says a number of things. You know, they're trying to figure out their world. Like, how do, you, how do you understand this when the guy you've been following, this rabbi by the name of Jesus, is suddenly arrested. Then he goes from being arrested to being put on a cross. And then he's, he's raised and he's standing in, in your midst. And he's got holes in his hands and his side. And yet he's still living. He's breathing. He's talking. You're trying to make sense of all this. The disciples are trying to make sense of all this. And then John says, but Jesus doesn't really let him make sense of it. Or at least not there. Because Jesus has some other stuff that he wants to say. Um, and so Jesus looks at his disciples and he said this. He says this in John chapter 20. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the ministries that the disciples have, have been a part of with Jesus is they've watched Jesus go around and when he heals people, when he, when he touches people, when he releases people from demons, he often says this, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has gotten into a lot of trouble for saying your sins are forgiven to somebody else. And yet he continued to do it all the way through his ministry. And then when he's re resurrected, instead of talking about the marvelousness of being resurrected, he looks at his disciples and he says, this stuff that I've been doing, this ministry that I've had, I want to share it with you. If you forgive sins, like I've been forgiving sins, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. And the disciples are like, what? But that's a task that Jesus has given to the disciples. 
And so then Jesus has some other conversations, and before long, Jesus ascends to the Father. And the disciples begin to carry his ministry. And so they heal people. They touch people. People are, are released from the things that bind them. And they often announce the forgiveness of sins. In fact, in Paul's letter, we call it the second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says this about the fullness of the ministry of those who've been following Jesus. He talks about a ministry of reconciliation. A ministry not only of forgiving sins, but bringing people back to the place where we're right with God and with one another. He describes it this way. And all of this is a gift from God uh, who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us a task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What does reconciliation mean? What does this idea of, of God's forgiveness entail to us? Well, a number of us, in fact, um, since the time of Martin Luther, a number, and even before Martin Luther, I shouldn't, shouldn't say that about Luther, a number of us throughout the history of Christianity have sort of understood that, that what it means to follow Jesus is to simply have your sins forgiven. To, to be good with God. To be able to go up and give God a fist bump or a high five, you know, it's like we're good, right? Yeah, we're good. Like there's nothing that separates us. Like our slate, if you will, a slate, you know, where we might keep um, grievances against one another. The slate is clean. But Paul says that there's more to what God is desiring for us than to have a clean slate. To, to simply be able to say we're good with God. What, what God really uh, desires from us is that we would be reconciled to him, that we would have this, this um, love and fellowship, that we would be able to sit at table with God and have a great long conversation, that, that our best friend would be God himself, that the person we're in full relationship with, that there would, you know, so even like when it comes to prayer, you'd never be afraid to pray because you're talking to your best friend. There are pictures of what this reconciliation looks like throughout the pages of Scripture. Not a ton of pictures, but a few pictures. Like one of the pictures of reconciliation is back in the book of Genesis. Um, if you've ever heard about two brothers that, that didn't get along very well, you'd have to be talking about Jacob and Esau. Maybe you have two brothers in your own house that don't get along very well. But in Scripture, there are two brothers who don't get along very well, and they're Jacob and Esau. And they're at one another's throats. And finally, at one point, Jacob runs away because he knows that Esau wants him dead. So he runs away. But there's this point within the story where Jacob and Esau come back together and they reconcile. They put their arms around one another and Jacob is, is sorely afraid of being reconciled to Esau, but Esau isn't because God has been at work in both of their lives and they know that there's this point where it's like we need to forgive the past to join with one another to be brothers again. That's one of the pictures. Another picture is, is continuing on in the book of Genesis where Joseph has been sold into slavery by his ten brothers. And he's down in Egypt. And the brothers come to Egypt because they're looking for food because there's a drought in their own land. And they don't even know that Joseph's there. But Joseph recognizes that it's his brothers. And so Joseph welcomes them and he sends them back. And finally, he, he makes the big reveal that it's him. It's, Joseph is their long-lost brother. They thought he was dead, but it's him. And he grants them grace. He grants them mercy. After their dad dies, they come to Joseph because they're afraid that Joseph is going to be have this list against them, and, and that he's got great intentions of harm for them. 
They say, Joseph, so we're good, right? And Joseph says, no, brothers, we're more than good. He said, I know that what you intended was for evil, but what God intended was for good. And so know this. I don't harbor anything in my heart against you, except I have love towards you. Live in that sense of grace and that sense of love. And then Jesus tells another story about a, a son and a father. And the son, a father with two sons, and the youngest son comes to the father and he says, Father, he says, I want my inheritance now. I know I'm only supposed to get inheritance when you're dead. I kind of wish you were dead because I'd really like to have the money, so can I have the money? And so the father gives him the money and then the son goes off and he spends everything and then he has nothing and he's eating with the pigs. And then he says, you know, people in my dad's house eat better than this. So he comes home. He says, maybe dad will take me back as a servant. But his dad, his dad hasn't just been lamenting that the son has been away. His dad has been waiting every day. He's been looking, looking for the son to come home. And, and when the dad sees the son a long way off, the dad goes running. Something a Jewish dad would never do. He goes running, tearing off his clothes, running down the, running down the street, and he embraces his son. He's, and the son says, Dad, I just want to be a servant. And he says, forget that. You're coming home as a son. Get the best clothes, take a shower, you stink, but get the best clothes, we're going to have a party, kill the fatted calf. I, I say that about take a shower, you stink, because, because I think some of you campers came home from camp a little smelly, you had to be told, go take a shower. We love you, but go take a shower. And so, so that's what the dad said, go take a shower, take a bath, and get ready because we're going to have a party because your son, you're my son, you're home, and I love you, and you're, he's embraced. That's what reconciliation looks like. Reconciliation is more than just being, we're good. Reconciliation is like, not only are we good, but we're going to have a party, a feast. There's a, a new sense of relationship here. Not long ago, I heard about, um, I was actually sitting at a table, and I heard about a modern-day story of reconciliation. There was this woman, and uh, she'd had a, a tough relationship with her brother. Words had been said they hadn't spoken in years. And the mother of this woman and her brother was dying, and they knew she was dying. And the woman just got the sense in her own life that we need to rebuild that relationship before mom dies. Something needs to happen. Something's got to be moved out of, this, out of the way here. And so the woman got in her car, and she drove to her brother's house, and she walked up the, um, she walked up the sidewalk and up, up onto the porch, and she knocked on the door. And her sister-in-law came to the door and opened the door, and through the screen door she said, well, what are you doing here? And then she rattled off a whole bunch of curse words. And, and the woman said, well, I came because I thought maybe we could talk. And the sister-in-law said, why would you want to do that? We haven't talked in years. Why would we want to talk? And the woman said, because I love you. When the woman said that, the defenses came down, and the sister-in-law opened up the door. And the woman went into the home and she had a conversation with her brother, with whom she was estranged with for many years. When she was retelling the story, some people asked her, they said, how, how were you able to tell her that you loved her? She said it was God. I don't have any other reason, any other way, any other capacity, other than to say that it was God who let me in that moment say, because I love you. One of the things that Paul talks about in that passage from 2 Corinthians is this. He says, know that this, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And there is this hope, this picture that God has for us. But also know this. On the one hand, it's a gift. On the other hand, it's something hard. It's a work. It's something that, in fact, Christ himself has to work at. 
Because Christ himself leaves the, he leaves heaven and he enters the earth and he works at reconciling the world to himself. And yet this, this capacity, this ability, is also a gift that God gives to each and every one of us to enter into this work of Christ and to receive it and, and to carry it on to the rest of the world. So Paul says it's a work and it's a gift. Uh, our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, knowing that it's a work and a gift, have understood sort of the sacrament of reconciliation to include about three steps. The first step is this. You've got you've to recognize that something's wrong. Something's out of, out of uh, sync. Something's off kilter. And so you've got to recognize, they call it the act of contrition or maybe the act of repentance or even the act of conversion. But it's really just simply recognizing something's not right. And then they say you've got to have a sense of confession. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've said. Here's what I've left undone. Or here's what I've left unsaid. And, and that's, a, that's really the hard place of work, right? That's where you've got to say something that you're afraid of saying. You've got to put yourself in, into a place where you may be afraid to put yourself. And then um, there's the act of celebration, where there's a restored relationship. In the book of James... Uh, we read from this passage a couple weeks ago when Pastor Bob talked about the sacrament of healing. In, in, there, James says, after he talks about being anointed with oil for your healing, James says, you need to have, he says, you need to confess your sins to each other and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so, knowing that confession is a work, and it's part of God's big idea that we would be reconciled to one another and we'd be reconciled to himself. The church has a tool that helps us uh, in, that, in getting to the place where we can confess our sins to God and, and also do it in a way in which we can do it with one another. And it's called the general confession. It's really a prayer. And it's a prayer that's really supposed to be like a tool that helps us in our own spirit. You'll find the prayer printed in your Pray, Study, Grow. And it's also going to be on the screen. And so we're going to pray it today. And I'd encourage you to uh, take the PSG home. And you may want to pray it, not just today, but you may want to use this for a while. This comes to us from the Book of Common Prayer with just a slight revision along the way at the end. But you'll see a note where there's a, just an invitation. And then the general confession, if we can say that together. And then there's something I'll say to you and something then for you to say back to me. Uh, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your way to the glory of your name. Amen. Through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. You see, um, that last part is, is a part that I'll, even a number of people struggle with saying. Um, sometimes we find it, okay, we can confess our sins to God, but could we ever tell anybody else that because of the work of Christ, they've been forgiven? But Jesus gives that ministry to his disciples and he gives it to the church and he gives it to you and to, to me. And he invites us to walk in his work of reconciliation. Um, 
several t years ago now, I guess, I was in a conversation with a priest. And the priest, a Catholic priest, told me, he said, we've come to the place in our understanding where we think we've uh, been a little bit misguided by putting the confessionals in the entryway of our churches and by having them look like they're cloistered closets, you know, because we let somebody come in there and, and they can confess their sins, but it's almost like the sacrament of reconciliation has always been done in secret. But to really receive the fullness of God's help, we've, we've got to have this ministry um, practiced among all of us within the body of Christ. And so the priest said, we've been trying to teach our people that a great place for reconciliation is, is at a table. He, he had an interesting way of doing it. Pastor Bob a couple weeks ago talked about how, how um, microbrewing is a new reality. And this priest said, he said, you know, maybe a great place to do some reconciliation, at least in, in our context, is to tell some of our folks when they're in a small group to gather around a table, to have their Bibles and a good beer there, and to simply confess to one another what they're going through. To your brothers and sisters in Christ, what, what are the struggles you've been carrying? What are the hang-ups that you've had? And then for one another to, um, to speak the words of Christ, that you're forgiven one to another. Uh, John Sweeney, who, who wrote, um, wrote a couple of different books, one that I really like, said this. He says, you know, we heal best when we allow others to help us. And we cannot heal unless we can actually recall and name what we need to be healed from. And so around a table is a great place to do some confessing. But it's also a great place to do some announcing and to do some forgiving. Um, all of us sit around tables in this room, right? You sit around tables with people that you love when you sit down for breakfast or lunch or dinner. You sit around tables when you go to work. Uh, maybe it's a lunch table in your, in your lunchroom. Maybe it's a planning table with other people. We sit around lots of tables. Sometimes we sit around tables where there are people that we don't know and we're a stranger. We're all strangers in that place. But there are a lot of tables that are set up in our world. As you think about the tables you sit at, as you think about the other people who sit in seats around that table, how are your relationships with everyone at the table? Are you good? Are you reconciled? Are you like Jacob and Esau at the end of their story? Are you like Joseph and his brothers at the end of their story? Or is there stuff in here that um, makes you grimace or concerns you? Is there stuff in here that weighs you down with some of the other people that are sitting around your table? You know, it's one thing to read the newspapers or to watch the news or read the Internet and know that our world needs the reconciling work of Christ. But the place that Jesus most often likes to work is the place that's closest to us. It's the place where we gather around tables and there's stuff that may be in the way in our relationships. Maybe the hardest place for us to put into practice what James says is the confession of sin is when you sit around your own kitchen table and you look across that to one of your kids or maybe to your husband or your wife or maybe one of your siblings. And you say, you know, I've, I've said something or I haven't said something or I've done something or I need to do something that I haven't done. 
and I need you to forgive me. Sometimes I get into trouble because I deaccumulate. And Anna sees those things along the way that I've unloaded, and I have to say, I'm sorry, honey. Next time, when we have a garage sale, I'll let you pick everything that goes in there. And sometimes I get into trouble with my kids because they bring stuff home and it's really valuable and I deaccumulate. And I have to say to them, I'm sorry, Erebus or Kyrie or one of the boys. Will you forgive me? You see, at the table, the table is a place where God intends for there to be laughter and joy. Not only the table in our kitchens, but whenever we come to the table of the Lord, we gather around the table that Jesus wants to set up in the midst of our world. He longs for there to be joy and peace and laughter and harmony. And sometimes, before we ever get to the table, we need to enter into the act of confession and forgiveness. If there's someone in your world that you need to do that with, take up the act. Confess. Forgive. Rejoice and celebrate. May Christ be found in your midst. Amen.